The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord, oh, most gracious one, you have declared that your kingdom is among us within our midst. Open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to behold it, our hands to serve it. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Last Tuesday, July 12th, NASA released the images taken by the new James Webb Space Telescope. It's the largest and most powerful space observatory that has ever been launched. The images unveiled a series of high-resolution uh, pictures depicting what they call cosmic cliffs, galaxies' uh, evolution, dying stars in their final performance, as they put it, and steamy atmosphere of distant planets, and all of this in detail, in great detail. NASA's administrator, a man named Bill Nelson, describes the significance of this ongoing work, he says this, he, he says, put simply, Webb will give humanity a new view of space and fundamentally alter our understanding of the universe. NASA hopes to look as deep as they've ever looked into space, as deep as they can see what they would call what is back in time. Because when they look at the distant stars, they're looking back in time. Why? Well, because the light of those stars, as you well know, takes a while because of the vastness of the universe, the distance between even galaxies, take those, the light from those stars takes in some cases, millions and millions and millions of years to get to Earth. In fact, when we see a star, or what we say that's the star today, that star may not be around anymore because it takes so long for those, for light to travel, even at the speed of light, it takes millions and millions of years. So what are they doing when they're looking at the stars? They're looking deep into space. They're looking back in time. 
and what they're hoping to see is where it all began. They want to see where it all started some, what, in there, this is what science says, they're, they're hoping to look back some 13.8 billion years back in the past to see the, what they call the Big Bang. And I would agree, it's probably, there was probably a big bang when God spoke the universe. But okay, so that's what they're hoping for. They're hoping to see, to see where it, it all started. Now when we, when we take a breath and we try to soak in the incomprehensible vastness of the universe, it's easy for us to feel insignificant. Right, you can feel very insignificant, like a God, not even a, not even a speck of dust, because it's it's even smaller than that. I mean, it's it's the the universe is so vast, it's so it's just so grand. But it's incredible to think what the science books tell us, and and the humanists tell us that all this, all this happened as a part of chance. It all happened by accident. That's what they're telling us, and that's what they want to tell us. But we know better. We know that it stands written in Scripture that all this, the creation of the universe, was an intentional act by God himself, the Almighty himself, and he created the universe out of nothing, out of nothing. In the timeless mess of eternity. What's even more incredible than that, before the universe was even spoken about, was, was even created, God had chosen who was going to be saved, who was going to be a part of his kingdom. That is incredible in itself because that tells us that something bad was going to happen. I mean, if we're, we read in scripture that God, God, God's elect were chosen before the creation of the universe, that tells us a lot of things that are going on. It blows our mind. It is, uh, scripture tells us who is going to be a part of his kingdom. Now, theologians refer to this, and the Bible refers to this as predestination. Predestination, we're not going to get into that, but it is, a, it is out of the Bible, and it is, it is saying that God is aware of who he is going to predestine, before he created the universe, who he would predestine to be saved. We can rejoice, because Christ, the creator of the universe, has called out, has called out to his people. Well, the cry, the, the gospel cry, uh, the gospel cry, the gospel call goes out to the universe, but Christ himself calls out to those, each of those who are going to be saved. Incredibly, he calls out to you and me and us. And then on top of that, what makes this even more spectacular <clears throat> is that he, not only does he call out to you personally and you respond, he uses you to spread the message of the call, the message of the gospel, to bring others 
to him. By this, we know that our lives have an ultimate significance because we're chosen of the Lord. We have an ultimate significance <coughs> as a Christian. We are disciples of Christ, called by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw men and women out of darkness into the light of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that you as a true believer are basically a disciple. You are a disciple, a student, a learner, being taught by Christ. And as a disciple, you were called to follow Christ, not to lead him, not to say, I know enough, I can do this without you, but to always follow him because he will lead us. He will lead us and we will learn and grow. And as we learn, we learn how to become fishers of men, fishers of men and women. Basically, we are learning how to become fishers of souls, the souls of men and women. Now, that is a, that's something that we don't think about a lot. We're, we're happy just to know that we're saved. We're happy just to know that we're, we're, we're glory bound. But there's more to your Christian walk. And there's more to what God is calling you to do. And basically, God is wanting you to take your attention off yourself and put it on something else, put it on him, and put it on the things that he wants you to do. And by that, you are called to be fishers of souls, other souls. And how do you do it? Well, you do it by spreading the gospel message. You do it by being a part of a church that goes out to the world and shares Christ with them and shares the Messiah with them. Now, as we turn to our passage, see, that's our, what our passage is talking about today. We turn to our passage and we can see that it's neatly divided up into two parts, two, two parts. The first part is the effectual call. The effectual call. And the second part is the effectual task. The effectual task. Now, as we look at the importance of the effectual calling, and we're going to get into what that means here in just a second, and the effectual task. What are we tasked with as we respond to this calling? We need to look at Christ's life. We need to look at how important it is as to what's going on here. And, and we need to get into the Gospel of St. Mark and look at what happened. How, let's go, we'll go quickly through it, and we'll see. How the, how the gospel of St. Mark lays it out. What happens at the beginning? At the beginning, we're told there's a herald. There's a herald by the name of John the Baptist. He has arrived on the scene. He is a herald. And he's announcing that the Messiah, which means God's king, is coming. The Messiah is coming. Yes, the Messiah has arrived. And he says it. He says so. He says stuff like, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is John the Baptist making this grand announcement. Then what happens? Well, then he shows up. The Messiah shows up. On the scene, he arrives. 
He comes to John and he is baptized by John in the Jordan. You recall that. And what happens when John puts him in the water and he rises out of the water? What happens? Well, heaven opens. I mean, heaven opens, okay? And it's more than just like clouds parting, like the clouds, the thunderstorm, the clouds are parting. It's, no, we're talking about heaven opening up, whatever that meant. Because it hadn't happened since then. Heaven opening up. And then God, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descending upon Jesus Christ and staying there. The Holy Spirit coming upon Christ and staying there as God the Father, as the voice of God the Father from heaven says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Big words. Glorious words spoken by God the Father. So what happens next? Well, what happens next is the Holy Spirit drives our Lord Jesus into the wilderness where he stays 40 days and is tempted by Satan himself. Our Lord is with the animals and the angels minister to him. Then what happens? Once he comes out of the wilderness, Christ begins his ministry. Jesus begins his ministry, and he does that by doing what? By calling his disciples. By calling his disciples. He immediately starts going out there and calling his the people, his disciples, who he's going to call. So where does he go? Where does he go? He goes to the temple to get the scholars of the, of the law, right? No, he didn't go there. You would think. Where does he go? He goes and looks for fishermen. Fishermen. And, and here we're getting more, now we're getting more into the effectual calling, the effectual calling. Okay. When I was a trooper, DPS Highway Patrol, my first day on the job, I'm a job as a trooper, as a highway patrolman. I got there and I was looking at the black and white cruise, I mean, the car, it was nice. It was like, man, I'm going to drive fast. I, I wasn't allowed to drive because my senior partner said, no, I get in the passenger seat. So anyway, I opened the door and I looked in the car and I said, wow, there's, there's, a, fla there's a big flashlight, SL20 back then. They're a lot smaller now. And back then it was big and it was lodged into its rack. And I said, woof, wow. And then there was, there was a clipboard ready to write tickets and it was between the seats. And that was ready to go. And then it was a shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun that was put uh, in its rack in front of the, in the front seat there. Pretty neat. But what overwhelmed me was this thing right in the middle. This thing called a radio, a, a police radio. And, and from this police radio... There was, the radio was blaring with the chatter of a bunch of voices coming out of it. It was like a mammoth collaboration of nonsensical noise coming out of that radio. I couldn't make any sense out of it. And then my partner goes, listen for your number to be called. I go, how's that possible? It's chaos. That's impossible. How are you going to do that? I mean, blaring, 
noise, chaos. He says, ah, that's easy. It's like being in a crowded room where people are talking. Everybody's talking, screaming louder and louder. And then while you're in this room and it's crowded, it's loud, you hear somebody say, Manny, Manny. You'll hear it. You'll hear a familiar voice, a voice calling out to you personally, calling out to you. That's what he told me. 2152, that was my number. Sure enough, when the dispatcher got there, she said, 2152, man, what do I do now? But see, that's a personal call. Among all the sound and the blaring and the noise that was going off, the effectual call from God is a personal call directed at you. Directed at you. A personal call directed at you. It is a calling from the Lord for salvation's sake that is irresistible. It is irresistible. As much as we want to think otherwise, as much as people will tell you otherwise, it is irresistible. It is grace. That's why it's irresistible. It is the grace of the Almighty coming upon you personally. It penetrates the chaos that's going on in your life. Manny, Manny, put your name there. You hear it penetrating the chaos that's going on in your life. The call of Christ, the effectual calling, can be perhaps better described as a as God as God sovereignly drawing you toward Him. So God sovereignly drawing you toward Him. The call is so overwhelming that it overcomes the sinners. A sinner, the sinner that would be us, our natural inclination to rebel and resist. It overcomes that. It's, it's calling you to him. He's calling you to him. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.13 refers to the official calling when he writes, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. It pleases God. Can you imagine? You wonder what pleases God? Yeah, I'm calling you and getting you to respond to him. An irresistible response pleases God, according to Paul. In John chapter 6, verse 44, the necessity of the effectual calling is emphasized by Jesus Christ himself when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him draws him to me. No one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him to me. The calling is even more direct in our passage. It's more direct. Now you have the Son of God, God incarnate, walking this earth and going around searching out and finding fishermen. Fishermen who are on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and makes a personal call to them. 
each of them, goes to each of them and says, follow me. Follow me. Can you imagine that? But you can. You can. Because it's happened to you. He's called you personally. It's not by accident. It's not by, oh, man, you know, I think he did. No, no, you know he did. You know it's real. He's calling you to come, come to him. And that's what's going on in verses 16 and verse, verse 19 in our text. The creator of the vast universe. The author and rescuer of humanity, Christ himself, goes to Simon and he goes to Andrew, who are brothers. And he also goes to James and he goes to John, saying to each of them personally, a personal invitation to them, follow me. Follow me. Come ye after me. Listen, in the in the in the in this calling, there is a vividness of urgency. There's urgency in, in, in how it's written out, especially in the original text. And it's vivid in how urgent it is when God calls his disciples. God commands them to come and follow him for humanity awaits. It's very urgent. He, Christ, will lead and they will follow. Their disciples are going to follow. They're going to learn. So what do they do? They stop. Stop what they're doing. In the urgency of his voice, in the call, that direct call from the Son of God talking to them personally, they stop what they're doing. They stop immediately. They leave their tools. They leave their nets and follow Christ. The Lord leads them. He goes on to call others to follow him as well. The people who stopped to follow Christ became his disciples. Again, you as a true believer are a disciple. A disciple. What is a disciple? A learner. A servant. Someone who is being taught and trained by the master teacher himself, Christ. That is why when Christ calls his disciples and says to them, follow me, they do it. They stop what they're doing. Jesus is telling them, uh, he's, he's calling out to them. But then he tells them something very important. And, and this is often overlooked, which is the second part of this. It's extremely important and often overlooked because they think Jesus is making a play on words. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. By the way, the word men in the Greek, anthropo means human. And I will make you fishers of humans, or human beings, okay? So when I say men and women, it's, it is. Okay, so he says, follow me, and I will make you, and I will make you become fishers of men and women, okay? The disciples would become fishers of human, fishers of human, both men and women. Now, here we, have, here we have the effectual task, the task that they're being given, okay? Uh, because, the first, because the first disciples were fishermen, 
And because of that, a lot of people will overlook the second part of that verse because they think, again, that Christ is making a play on words. They're fishermen. I mean, it's like, like if you're something out painter, I'll make you a painter of people or something. I'll just play on words. It's Jesus, it's Jesus making a play on words. So they overlook it. But it's not a play on words. Jesus is, is referring back to an old, the Old Testament prophecy, an eschatological prophecy, an eschatological tradition where God is the fisher of men. In the Old Testament, there are many Old Testament passages on which this fisherman image is developed. And it's an, it's an end-time uh, uh, prophecy. It's an eschatological prophecy, and 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 where it, well, that is that is that is hinging on judgment. Judgment is at hand. It's like judgment's at hand. Come, come, follow me. Judgment is at hand. It's like him saying that it, it is about fishermen. And in the Old Testament, there is an ominous, an ominous. It's like a, a distinctly ominous threat going on here. They're being threatened. And it's and it's coming out loud and clear, and that is what Jesus is referring to. He's referring to the Old Testament, Old Testament passages like that come from like Jeremiah chapter sixteen, verse six, where it says, "Behold, I am sending. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, fishermen, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them." Then he goes on. There's another, there's another passage in, in, in Ezekiel or, or verse in Ezekiel 29, verse 4, where it says, I will put hooks in your jaw, in your jaws, and make the fish of your stream stick to your scales. And I will draw you up out of the midst of the streams and all the fish of your streams that stick to the scales. And then in Amos chapter 4, verse 2, it says, The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. So now we know it's not a play on words. It is now Jesus saying, this is prophecy. This is an end-time prophecy, and it's a prophecy about judgment. Judgment. Judgment is coming. The fishing metaphor is eschatological. God is, 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 is coming, and he's bringing judgment with him. Now, what, I mean, he's bringing judgment. Is that good or bad? Well, for us, it's bad. That's why there's an urgency. Because God is coming and he's going to judge you. Going to judge you. We're not going to do very good in this judgment. We're not going to do very well. And that's why the Messiah has showed up. That's what the Messiah has showed up. To give us grace. To save us. To rescue us. So there's a sense of urgency and that's what he's talking about when he talks about fish. That's why he's gone to fishermen. And he says this about the fishermen, a sense of urgency in God's in Christ's calling is the reason why the disciples say, hey, I'm in, I'm in, I'm following you. And they do it immediately, in haste, 
immediately. You see, these fishers of men are being summoned by God, by Christ, to be fishers of souls, souls of men and women. That is why the Lord Jesus can say in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Christ is here on a salvation mission to save us, to rescue us. He's here to save us. Now, Jesus accomplishes this task. How does Jesus accomplish this task? Well, he, he lives this perfect life. Then he lays his life down on the cross in our stead. And then, his, then he is raised on the third day, thereby overcoming sin and death. He is our salvation. He's our salvation. And that's the gospel message. The message of salvation, that salvation comes only where? Through faith. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Lord uses his disciples to spread this message, to spread the message of the gospel to the entire world. For they are like us. They were his disciples. They were fishers of souls. And God, and him knowing, and his, and his knowledge, and, and him knowing everything, and him wanting to do it the way he wants to do it, which is perfect, uses his disciples to spread that message, to be fishers of souls. That's why he uses you. That goes back to us. It comes right back to us thinking, oh, we're just satisfied with going to worship every week, which is wonderful. It's wonderful that you're doing that. And you're studying scripture, and you're praying, and you have a relationship with God. And he's saying, okay, look, you got to go out there. You got a task to spread the gospel. Well, that's why it says that not just in Romans, but but uh, in, in Isaiah, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him and her who bring the good news. So look, when we're here in a passage, and we've talked about what we're getting going through in, in these on these Sundays. Uh, these are evangelistic type sermons. But you've answered the call. But now I'm telling you that it's more than just answering the call. You have a task at hand to join we, us as a church or joining together to go out to the world to spread the gospel message. So do you understand? Do you hear it? Do you feel the sense of urgency in the calling of Christ? Have you answered that call? Or are you resisting? The other day, <clears throat> in our Tuesday Zoom class, we were looking at, uh, we were looking at the, the, the Lord's Supper. And, and we're looking at the Lord's Supper and how it parallels the Passover meal, right? So we started looking at it. And, and you remember the first Passover meal. Uh, it was given to the nation of Israel through the lips of Moses. God instructs Moses to tell the people, to, each family, each household was to grab, to get a, a spotless lamb. And they were to sacrifice this lamb on this day. On the day, the day before they leave, the big exodus, right? 
<clears throat> excuse me, they were, to, they were to sacrifice the spotless lamb. They were to dress a certain way. They were to prepare this lamb a certain way. Uh, they were to roast this lamb. And then they were to consume it. Okay, before they consumed it, before they, they were to roast it, and after they sacrificed it, they were to do something else. Very important. What were they supposed to do? They were to grab the blood of the lamb, and they were to place it on the doorpost of their household or the lintel of their household. Why? Because God was sending a plague. He was sending the angel of death into Egypt. And then, and so every, and what was, what was the command? The command was saying that the angel of death was going to go into the, the country of Egypt, the land of Egypt, and that was going to pass over every household in the land of Egypt. And every household's firstborn would be killed. And we had a question, uh, and I apologize. We just should have read the text. It was right there. It says, every man and beast. By man, it, it's, it's man and woman. It is, it is in the neuter. It's basically uh, every human, every firstborn human and beast. That would be a cattle. That would be livestock. That would be, you know, domestic or wild livestock. It didn't matter. Would die. That's a pretty powerful plague there. Now, what if someone in their arrogance said, hey, look, I'm a part of the, I, I'm Jewish. I, I'm a part of the nation. In my pedigree, I should, I'm okay. I'm not going to do something barbaric like that. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to go kill a, a lamb and do all this stuff. I'm not going to obey God. I'm okay. I'm in. Now, what if a Jewish person, a part of the nation, would have done that? What if a person said that? What if a family said, I'm not going to do that? What would happen to them? What do you think happened to them? What do you think happened to them? They died. Firstborn died. God's not discriminating. I mean, when he's killing cattle, you're going to, in arrogance, say, I'm not going to do that. So isn't that what goes on today? When we decide we're not going to be obedient to God, to Christ, and his word, and in our arrogance say, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to believe in Jesus. That's nonsense. I'm just going to do it my way. I mean, golly, pray for you. But you're going to die eternally. And, and that's what we were looking at. The other day, we were looking at, at that on, on our Tuesday Bible study. And with the, the reason I bring it up today is because that's the calling, the calling that you've received, that you are called to respond to. If you want to do it your way, you're going to resist it. You're not going to respond to it. You're going to do it your way. And you're going to die. But why? Why would somebody resist the calling? Resist something so wonderful? Well, is it because there might be fear? Fear involved? Fear of the fear of what? Fear of the what? Fear of the unknown? Right? It is unknown. When you give your life to Christ, that means you're submitting. That means you don't know what's going to happen because you are so used to living in sin and being a sinner and doing things by the world's way of sinning, and now you're called to follow Christ. 
there could be a fear there. And you may not want to give it up. And that could be the other fear, the fear of submitting, not knowing what God's going to make you do. That's right. That's right. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I'll do something and some of what you say, Lord, but I'm not going to do that. Or I'm not going to give up this. I'm going to hold on to this sin. Because it's okay. It's okay not hurting anybody. That's how we, that's how we approach it. And that's why we don't respond. But that's a no response. That means no to, in God's eyes. That is, that is, that means that you're not going to be passed over. You're going to be judged. That's the Passover, right? That the angel of death passes over you and the grace of God is upon you through the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you resist him, he will judge you. If you receive him, judgment passes over you. And you, in sharing the gospel message, that's the gospel message, you share that wonderful message with others and you become fishers of souls as you were called to do. As Christians, we are disciples of Christ, called by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw men and women out of the darkness into the light of Christ. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Father, we certainly rejoice in your love. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.